Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. All right, you guys ready? All right, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to break you down. I'm going to build you up again. So why don't you just grab the hand of the person next to you. See, we're in this together. It's going to be okay. Um... I think it's important to just know what's coming, right? Um, don't want to cause any religious PTSD when we get to the hard stuff, you know? It, um, I, I want to I actually build off of what I got into last week. Last week, we got into some really deep stuff, and uh, I realized I went a mile a minute. There's so many questions that came in, like really good stuff. Like, man, God was really working. I wish you kind of like marinated on some things for a minute. And uh, I mean, in like 45 minutes, I probably covered 20 things that we should not have all gone together. And... Um, and so I want to actually build off of it a little bit. I want to go a little bit deeper, but I want to, I want to give some biblical foundations to it. But how, let's start off with this. How many of you guys know is um, life is full of pain, hardship, difficulty, anxiety. We're not trying to be depressing, but how many of you guys know there's so many layers of hurt and pain and difficulty and things that we go through. Um, it's, sometimes it's just like these memories that will stick with us over the course of time and we'll feel set free. We'll feel like we get some measure of breakthrough, but lots of times we're just kind of like, moderating our anxiety and not actually getting deliverance from our anxiety. You guys know what I'm saying? We're managing our pain and difficulty and we're existing and we're surviving. But how many of you guys know surviving is not your inheritance? It is not your portion. Jesus took your iniquity, not so that you guys could share the load, but he took your iniquity to rid you from it entirely. It actually says in, in Zechariah 3 that he would wash the land of iniquity in one day. Um, I mean, it says that he bore our griefs and our sorrows, that he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. That was not for us to share in that experience, but for, actually, for us to actually get healing and breakthrough. Wholeness is your inheritance. Amen? And um, I want to I get into that a little bit because here's the thing. I believe that God has more for you. We've been in this series, there must be more. I believe that there's so much more for you. I, think that, that I believe that God you, uh, wants you to hear his voice in a, in a uniquely um, more accurate way. I think that God wants to visit you with dreams and visions. I believe that God wants to show his power to you in, in your day. I believe that God wants to heal and restore your family. I think God wants to heal and restore relationships that have been broken. Uh, I, I believe that God wants to bring blessing into your life. Um, gosh darn, I, I'm a, I'm a, what do you call it? A, um, I'm a, uh, what do you call those people? Um, prosperity. prosperity preacher. I am. He says, I will cause you to prosper. Plain and simple. I will cause you to prosper. And I'm not, I don't mean just like get you a jet. Who has a jet? You get a jet. You get a jet. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about he wants you to prosper in soul and spirit. He wants your family to prosper. He wants your health to prosper. This is your inheritance. And uh, I don't want to make excuses for the pains that we go through. I actually want to look to Jesus until we get healing for the pain that we go through. Amen? And so I want to talk about um, the environment that we create to raise up powerful, faithful, effective, and safe believers. Um, in Romans 12, verse 2, I'm going to be slinging verses, guys. So don't even try. I'll tell you when I need you to go somewhere with me, okay? Um, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because then you will be able to prove what is the good and acceptable will of the Lord. 
Um, there is a battle over your mind. And that's not just because that's the place where the enemy wants to bring bondage to your life, but it's also because that's the place where it's like a fortress of powerful kingdom activity in your life. Your mind has the ability to dialogue with God. Your mind has the ability to comprehend the thoughts of heaven. Your mind has the ability to think and to agree with heaven in a way that would actually become a behavior that changes the world. You realize you don't just change the world. You realize that God, that your God who dwells in your spirit interacts with your imagination and your mind and gives you his thoughts. And when he gives you his thoughts, he causes your emotions to respond to your thoughts. And when your emotions respond to your thoughts, it becomes a will. And that will is then used to create behaviors that change the world. When someone feels called to feed the poor and to heal the sick and to go to the nations, this is not just a religious idea that just by happen chance you found yourself there. It is a God thought that becomes a powerful moment that changes the world. And God wants to work within the realm of your imagination, your mind and your thoughts. But we have to understand is that it is, your, um, it is actually all of warfare all of bondage, as well as all power and all liberty happen in the realm of your beliefs. In Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Who loves that, right? The reality is, as many of us think this is prayer. The scripture actually has nothing to do with the prayer that you think it is, right? The scripture is we're like, we do not fight with flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and heavenly places, right? We, we fight in the spirit. And so we go, so I'm gonna cast down this. I'm gonna fight this. I'm gonna punch that principality in the face. I'm gonna, I'm gonna scream a little louder in my prayer room. This verse actually has nothing to do with that. You know what it says? It says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Jesus Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That actually means that your life has the ability to enter into environments, cities, spaces, locations, realms of places that we go into. We have the ability to carry the power and the glory of God and make everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ to bend its knee to him. But we can't walk in that power or that authority unless we align our beliefs to his beliefs. And then we actually bring uh, our behavior in life into obedience and subjection to what he's saying and doing. And when we do that, literally principalities fall. Does that make sense? Is that too swirly? Are you guys all right? Okay, I don't wanna get so swirly. You're like, what's this dude talking about? The reality reality is, is that there's internal work that becomes external demonstrations of his spirit and his power. He wants to show up in cities and societies. You are on assignment everywhere you go to bring healing and breakthrough and victory wherever you go. But when the victory hasn't happened in you, you can't bring it anywhere else. Victory begins in you. And so actually tearing down a stronghold in a city starts with tearing a stronghold that's already been created in your mind. We can't tear down a spirit of poverty over the state of Maine and unlock the promises of this land if we are living in agreement with lack. So my authority to bring transformation to a city or state actually begins with me aligning my beliefs to the reality and truth of heaven. (laughs) 
if, if we believe lies about God, we will forfeit our devotion and we'll limit our access to him. Um, if we believe lies that he's not good, that he's punishing me, you know, like how many of you guys know that uh, Jesus quenched uh, all the punishment. You are unpunishable. He quenched all the punishment. He can't, there might be consequences of the decisions that we make, but God doesn't punish you to teach you lessons. Do you guys get that? He is not the author of pain. He only gives what he has. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Is there cancer in heaven? God isn't giving you cancer to, to teach you a lesson. Is there pain and suffering in heaven? I feel like you were so unconvinced by this. Is there pain and suffering in heaven? Thank you. I appreciate that. I was getting concerned. He's only going to give you what he has. He does not the author of confusion. He's not the author of pain. He's not the author of suffering. He doesn't give what he doesn't have. And so we have to understand is that if we believe that God is punishing, if he is causing suffering, he's the authoring of our pain, we will, might believe that when we go, we trust you, you're good, but we will actually distance ourselves in relationship to him and limit our access to his presence when we actually need him to do something. Because I could be going through torment and pain and I won't go to the one that I believe is authoring it. But if we believe that he's a present time and helps of trouble, if we believe that, uh, that, he, that we can trust the Lord, that he is good at all times, that he wants to prosper my soul, he wants to, call, he wants to be my portion in times of difficulty and suffering, how many of you guys know that when we have the right beliefs about who God is, we will draw near and not distance ourselves in times of difficulty? <clears throat> if we believe lies about ourselves, how many of you guys know we'll sabotage our calling? If we believe lies, that I'm inadequate, that, I, uh, that I'm disqualified, that I'm all these different things, that my past is going to catch up to me, right? He says it separates your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. If you believe that you're inadequate and not called, every invitation from the Lord to take a risk and to step out in obedience to him, you will sabotage it and say no and resist it because you are believing a lie about yourself. You do not believe what he says about you. And so you'll sabotage your calling because you, you'll disqualify yourself before you prove to the world around you that you are disqualified or anybody else proves that you're disqualified. If you believe uh, lies about people, uh, it will validate disconnection. If I actually begin to believe that you're evil, that you have ill intent, that you want to hurt me, that you are bad, that you are toxic, that you're all these things, if I start creating these beliefs, I will validate myself, removing myself from relationship with you. But how many of us know that we were created for every joint to supply and for relationship to be built, that we were actually created to contend for relationship together because it's actually in the incubator of our relationship that we're two or more agree, I will do anything. When the, when the brethren dwell together in unity, what does it say? It says, I will command my blessing there. Yep. And so we realize that the power of the church is the agreement of the church. It says, if, the, um, if I let them be, Jesus prayed, um, Father, may the church be one. I, just as I am in you and you are in me, may the church be one in us so that the world would believe that you sent me. There's power when we fight through pain and difficulty and mistakes and we fight for connection, and we dig in deeper, there's power that gets released from there. But if I believe a lie about you, I will validate my disconnection from you and not return to it. One last one. If we believe lies about the world, we'll deny our responsibility to save it. Oh, it's dangerous. The, 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 the spirit of the world is greater than the spirit inside of me. <laughs> Thank you. Right? The spirit of the world is dangerous. It's going to hurt me. It's going to stain me. It's going to affect me. It's evil. It's bad. It's all this. If, if, I, if, if it's evil, bad, it's going to come and get me. Then how many of you guys know uh, I will deny my responsibility to save it? 
because I will not subject myself to something more powerful than me. But how many of you guys know that the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And what's in you is for the healing of the nations. You're called to give away what you carry. It says all creation's groaning and waiting for the revealing of sons and daughters. Because creation is subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected in hope that all creation would get delivered into the same liberty as the sons and daughters of God. Which means that the liberty that you've tasted in Jesus is literally a gift that's been given to you for you to give away. We all right? Ephesians 4, 17. I told you I was gonna sling them. Hold on, hang tight. Ephesians 4, 17. It says... This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles, those that are, they're not, they do not belong to the Lord, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. They literally, their minds have been darkened, their, their beliefs have blinded them, and they've alienated themselves from the life of God. Verse 20, but you have not learned this in Christ. For if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which goes corrupt according to deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you would put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. You're putting on everything that he purchased. You're daily putting on joy, putting on peace, putting on righteousness, putting on victory, putting on strength. All of that is done in the spirit of your mind, is in the renewed thoughts well, how do we get our, our thoughts renewed? Well, and Jesus said that I will, when I go, I will send you the spirit of truth. And when he has come, he will guide you into all truth. When Jesus died and he rose again, he appeared to the disciples and he goes, now receive my spirit. And he breathed on them. And he goes, now wait, when the spirit comes on you, you'll be endued with power. And then in the upper room, they waited on the Lord and the wind came in and blew on them. I wanna present to you that the, well, the greatest ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit is fellowship and communion with God. But he does that by bringing truth into your inner man. Because you once were owned by the spirit of the world, the father of lies, the architect of lies. And he created a web of lies from the day that you were born to get you to believe anything that would oppose truth. And he worked overtime and you have memories of those moments where he tried to shred your family and he hurt you and caused you to disqualify yourself and believe that you were inadequate and all the lies that you bought into just as a child being raised up. And then, then you received Jesus and he came inside of you and he goes, and that is the spirit of truth and he will lead you into all truth. And what's he leading you into? He's leading you into to removing every single lie that you've come into agreement with your whole life. And that is the process of salvation, which is to come whole, a whole healed and delivered. And so when the process of, of Jesus taking residence inside of you is the process of the Holy Spirit going, that's a lie, and that's a lie, and that's a lie, and that's a lie. This is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. That's what I say. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Everything is connected to your beliefs. And then you begin to experience the fullness of life when your thoughts begin to align to his thoughts. And truth dismembers every lie that the enemy has been sowing. All right, are we good? Okay. 
John 15, Jesus said, if, I, if, I, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you ask for whatever you desire and it will be done for you. For this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. The Holy Spirit's primary assignment in you is to dismantle every lie that the enemy has mounted over the course of your life and to bring you into alignment with truth. And alignment is powerful because when his word resides within you, you will ask for whatever you desire and it will be done for you. Why is this a safe promise? Because if the word of God dwells in you, you will not ask for what your soul wants. You will actually come into agreement with what the spirit wants. And what the spirit wants is what he will Will agree with. In Isaiah 55, it says, my word will not return to me void, but accomplish everything that I sent for it to accomplish. So when God gives you his word and he speaks life into you, and that word is on assignment, dismantling every single lie, your life will return the word of God back to him. And he goes, and so this is a safe saying, you can ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. Why? And you will bear much fruit. Why? Because the word has been powerful and effective to dismantle lies and to bring you into obedience and it has brought every thought and a subjection to truth and your obedience will, cause, will, will punish the disobedience of hell. Were you prepared for this? Are you guys all right? All right. Can I give you guys two thoughts? This is where I'm gonna break you down and build you back up. Are you guys ready? You're like, that wasn't it. Okay, listen, two thoughts. Go with me to Joshua chapter five. This is where you, the, the go with me part, okay? Joshua chapter five. I'm gonna be really quick. Joshua chapter five. The nation of Israel. The nation of Israel was held captive in Egypt, right? They were, they were slaves, a whole generation slaves to Egypt, living as slaves, believing they're slaves. There's a slave mentality that fell on the nation. God comes and delivers them from, with, with Moses. And Moses gets the word of the Lord to deliver his people. God sends the plagues and God delivers them. He parts the Red Sea. He brings them into the desert. God has done powerful things. He starts showing up to them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. They're hungry. And so God shows up to them and, and produces um, manna. It wasn't tasty manna. It was just manna. Came every single morning and, filled the, the, and they would go and they collect baskets full of man, manna out of the dew and they would feed the whole nation of Israel. This lasted for 40 years. The thing that's really interesting is that although they saw the, they saw the power of God, you have to understand that they were slaves and they did not become kings. They went from slavery to refugees. Does that make sense? And a whole nation, 40 years in the desert, full of rebellion. I mean, so um, their mentality and their beliefs were so broken that Moses was late from coming down from the mountain and they literally went and found another God and they formed one out of gold and made a calf and started worshiping it and singing it because they thought he wasn't coming back and they made their own. I mean, we're talking about a broken people, broken beliefs that believed they were slaves and they needed something to save them, right? Um, they needed their savior, but they had so much distrust that they actually were willing to throw him off and take anything that came their way. They were refugees and always hungry, always destitute, always looking for a home. Here they are, and they come to the banks of the Jordan 40 years from wandering after years of slavery. The whole generation from Egypt has died, right? They're dead, they're gone. And a younger generation, all they've known is homelessness and in the desert are standing there with Joshua. And, and Moses dies and God speaks to Joshua and says, all right, Joshua, my, my servant Moses is dead. It's time for you to get up and to lead them into the promised land. Because the promise all along was, I'm gonna take you to the land of milk and honey. The grass is green. There's, there's I mean, the calves, they're huge, man. They're just pumping them out left and right. And there's gold and there's honey and there's, uh, you know, grapes the size of your head. It's all there. 
And he promises them that and they're wandering and wandering and wandering. And then they come to the banks of the river and he goes, all right, 40 years is over. It's time to cross over. Joshua, consecrate your people. They take the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders. They go to the banks of the river. And once again, just like at the Red Sea, he parts the waters of the Jordan and the whole nation of Israel shows up and they're standing on the promised land. For the first time in all of these years, they're finally standing on the ground that they were promised. They make their camp that night. They wake up in the morning. They're expecting honey, milk, uh, fresh loaves of bread. And the manna shows up again in the dew. The same food that they were eating in the desert is the food that shows up in the promised land. And God comes to, to Joshua and says, Joshua, you have a whole generation of men that are not bearing the sign of the covenant. And he goes, they've not been marked. Their lives are not consecrated to me. They don't bear the covenant of Abraham, which is the circumcision of the flesh, which was an example of Jesus circumcising our hearts, cutting away the parts of the world inside of us, of our sinful nature being cut, cut away so that we could actually be made new as new creations in Christ right? And so they're not bearing the, the circumcision. And so he goes, before you go any further and you can taste of the promised land that I've given to you, you have to circumcise a whole generation. Because we're not talking about kids, babies. We're talking about grown men, right? It says this in Joshua chapter five. It says, um, and all the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. So the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people who were the men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised the sons whom he had raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And so it was when they had finished the circumcising all the people that they stayed there in their place and in the camp until they were healed. And they named that place Gilgal, which means mountain of foreskins. We're not talking about a couple. You're allowed to be cringy about this. This is terrible. It's an awful scene. They call it the mountain of foreskins. And all these grown men are circumcised and they have to rest there and wait to be healed. All the men of war that are being called to go into the next city and to take it on and to see that power of God show up and bring breakthrough, they've just been circumcised and they're sitting there and healing for 21 days. Now, here's the interesting thing that happens. It says this, and so it was when they had finished it, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. We're talking about over 40 years ago, slavery was hanging over a nation of people like a cloud and they carried the reproach, the beliefs and the lies about their, about their identity as a nation. They carried it with them like baggage through the desert. And it was that day that they consecrated themselves to the Lord where they cut something away. It was in that moment goes, and now you're no longer slaves. And now I'm lifting the reproach, all the beliefs about who you are. Now I'm washing all of that away so that you can stand and receive in the land of your promise. And then it says this. It says that they stayed there in the camp and they had Passover. 
And it says, and then they ate the produce of the land on the day after Passover, unleavened bread, and the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna because they ate the land of Canaan that year. He actually says this, as long as you believe like a slave, you're gonna eat like a slave. But if we're going, we're gonna consecrate your heart. So when you come into alignment with truth, you're actually gonna be, be able to eat in the land of your promise. Here, here's, the, here's the thing, I call this survival mindset. So we have to get set free from Survival mindsets are something, it's just what I call it, but they're beliefs that we create about people who aren't where we are, about situations that aren't, isn't where we are. When we're, in order to survive the processes, the pains, the difficulties, and the lack of life, when we're rich or when we're poor, we'll create judgments or beliefs about the rich to help me feel better about not being where they are. When we are sick, we will create judgments about the healthy. When we are divorced, we will create judgments about the married. When we are single, we will create judgments about, the mar- about families. When we are going through difficulty, we'll make judgment about people that are going through blessing. These are survival mindsets that will literally be these internal beliefs that we create that says, where I'm at is, not, is, is okay because where they are is no better than where I am. And we'll create these beliefs, but here's the problem is we literally shackle ourselves to this reproach that comes on our life that says, this is who I am, I'm a slave. This is who I am, I'm poor, I work hard, right? This is who I am, I'm, I'm, I'm this way and it's okay and people that have something else are just as bad off as me. And we will actually create these beliefs, these mindsets to survive lack. But the problem is, is they will bind our hands to eat from promise. We won't be able to receive what God has from us because we've mounted judgments about where we're going. How many of you guys know that God has promises over your life and you're not there yet? Come on, you're on this journey. And a part of that journey is God circumcising our hearts and turning the reproach of former seasons off of our life where we yield all of judgments, all of our beliefs and all the things that are out of alignment with his so that we can open-handedly come into a new season and embrace what God has. Without the circumcision, we can't eat the milk and honey. We're gonna continue to eat in the former season even though we're standing where we should be blessed. Are we all right? <clears throat> the problem with survival mindsets is we create beliefs about a world we aren't living in. We call them judgments or whatever you want, but they become impossible hurdles when God wants to bring us out of lack and into blessing. Our beliefs that do not align with a new season will cause us to miss what God is doing right now. They bind us from being able to embrace blessing. How many of you guys know God wants to bring you to a level of wholeness so that you open-handedly have the capacity to receive what God has for you in seasons of breakthrough and fulfillment. Come on. I mean, as a pastor, when we were a small church, I could have made judgments about big churches. And then as our church grew, I could have resented our church growth because I could, I could not actually open my hands to receive the souls that God wanted to bring into the kingdom through our family. Does that, does that make sense to you? God would actually want to give me strategy to grow the church. And I would say no, because I created judgments about bigger churches. We have to remove survival mindsets that are created in seasons of lack so that we can actually embrace seasons of blessing.
All right, go, go with me to Joshua chapter seven. This is where I'm gonna, I'm gonna end right here. Ready? Joshua chapter seven. Israel then goes into Jericho. Ah, they shout. They march around the city. Walls come falling down. Incredible, I mean, supernatural victory for the nation of Israel, right? And God says to them, when you go into Jericho, take no accursed thing, take nothing, take no gold, take no bounty or anything. And so they come out of it. They see this crazy victory. God moves. Then they get, called, they, they get told, now go to the next city, which is Ai. Ai small, just send a handful and I'll be with you. They go, into hand, they go into Ai, they send a handful of soldiers and they go out and like a small army runs Israel out of the army just after. They, all they had to do was shout and they beat Jericho. They actually go to war with Ai and they get chased out of the city, right? Now, it says that Joshua, after they lost the battle of Ai, it says that Joshua tears his clothes, falls to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. This is a bad look, right? Go through a defeat, tear their clothes, rub dust on their face, like bad company. And Joshua said, alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to deliver us from the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, that we had been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. All right, let's talk about this for a second, Joshua. Right? Joshua, literally after this crazy defeat in Jericho, um, then goes into Ai, loses the battle, goes back to the Lord and go, what a dirty trick. This is on you. You promised me victory. And I'm looking at you, God. You played a trick on us. What kind of weird lesson are you teaching us? Oh, if we had just been content and not so selfish to leave the wilderness. We had it good over there. Weren't losing any battles, right? He's looking at the Lord and he's casting blame at the Lord, right? And then the Lord says, so the Lord said to Joshua, Joshua, shut up, man. Come on. How many of you guys know God needs to give us a good shut up every once in a while? All right? Get up. Why are you on your face? Israel has sinned and they've transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they've even taken some of the accursed things and they've both stolen and deceived. There's sin in the camp, right? I want you to look at nation as one man. And there's one household in the heart of this nation that did not come into agreement with who they were as a nation. Achan's house still believed that they were slaves. And when he saw gold, he didn't trust the Lord to provide for his house, but he rebelled against the Lord and actually took what the Lord didn't tell him to take. He put his hands on something that he was not called to put his hands on. And the Lord speaks to him and goes, I will not let you go and experience victory if there's still sin inside of your camp. You've limited my ability to go before you and bring breakthrough. And he goes, search the camp and find the accursed thing. Now, here's the very interesting thing. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't ever want to become so disillusioned with my imperfections that I actually begin to validate them and weaponize them against other people. Meaning, meaning I, I don't want to defend my lack to the point that I stop receiving the invitation of the Lord to root something out of my life. Do you see the fight in Joshua? This dude loses a battle and his first thing is, I'm looking at you, God, this is all on you. The dude shifts blame so quickly on the Lord before he ever invited the introspection of the Holy Spirit to find out what camp inside of me is out of alignment. 
It required the rebuke of the Lord. Instead of looking for how I can grow, sometimes I'll start looking for how you can grow. How many of us know I'm not responsible for how you grow? I'm only responsible for how I grow. Which requires that in every moment I go through, I only have one responsibility. It is to yield my heart to the Lord to make sure that my heart is fully aligned to truth. If I'm believing lies about who you are, then it's not, my it's not your responsibility to fix who you are. It's my responsibility to get the mind of the Lord about you. Joshua is the one, <clears throat> um, jo Joshua is the one that has the accursed things in his camp and yet he's blaming the Lord. The interesting thing is, is God didn't change his decree because Joshua was like, well, I found it, but what do I do now? And the Lord says, do you remember what I said to you the first day? Before you crossed the river Jordan, I said to the nation of Israel, Go through all of your belongings, go through your family and consecrate yourselves for tomorrow I'm about to do amazing things among you. And he goes, so Joshua, go throughout the camp and say to the nation of Israel, consecrate yourselves for I'm about to do amazing things among you. His response to the failure was the same as his, his decree at the beginning, which is really important for us to understand because sometimes we are where we are because we didn't do what he originally said at the start. And he invites us to return and try again. We moved on from his instruction, but he hasn't. I once heard Danny Silk say this. He said, um, he used to have people come into his, his office all the time saying, I can't hear God. I'm going through such a dry spell. I can't hear God. I can't hear God. And finally, he, he, he would say, well, what was the last thing that you heard God say? It was this. Did you do it? Well, this thing came up and this came up and this came up and this came up and now it feels really far in the past and I don't know what happened and da, 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 da. And he goes, if you're not hearing God for today, it's because you didn't listen to what he said yesterday. He was faithful with little is given much. There's a stewardship over the things that he calls you to. There are places of our heart in our life that God is like wants to work on. And we might've moved on from the instruction, but he hasn't moved on from the instruction. And if there's still camps inside of our heart that are not fully aligned to truth, it is our responsibility to bring our heart and ask the Lord to root out every belief inside of me that is not in alignment. Because every belief that is inside of me is not in alignment, is an area of my life that I will not live in obedience to the Lord. And if I'm not living in obedience, I will, I will limit my ability to see his power show up in in those places of my life and be a demonstration of his glory and his splendor to the world around me. Are we all right? Yeah. I told you I'd build you back up. <clears throat> I, I, I hate on these two places because I believe God has so much more for us. And our continual breakthrough in our beliefs will increase the capacity of what we can walk in in the Lord. I believe that he has so much more that he's invited us to walk into, so much more victory, so much more breakthrough, so much more joy, so much more peace. And, and, I, and I believe so much more effectiveness for the gospel's sake through our life. 
But if we will continue to be hung up on interpersonal issues and they become the biggest issues of our life and we're still working out this and working out that and we're big issues and breaking off relationships and distancing ourselves and running in fear. And all kinds of, I mean, it's no, we will not see the abundance that he has for us. God wants to break the pattern, but the, where, the place where he breaks the patterns in our life is in the realm of our beliefs. It is the battlefield of the mind that he wants to renew by his spirit, that he wants to come in and he wants to dialogue over your beliefs and bring you into right alignment, bring every thought captive. And, and so that your life can then be a place where his power and glory can, can show up because your beliefs have been brought into right alignment. Is that all right? Why don't you guys stand with me?